Today, I'm going to be speaking to Neha Sethi, who went from being an investment banker to a baker. She is the co-founder of a cookie store called Swedish House Mafia that started out in Mumbai. After graduating from the Wharton School of Business, she worked as an investment banker in New York for a year, but soon realized that finance wasn't her cup of tea. She left her cushy job in New York and moved back to Mumbai and started baking at home while she tried to figure out her professional life. But life had other plans for her. All the appreciation she got for her home-baked cookies from friends and family led her to start selling the cookies that she was baking from the back of her car. This car selling cookies in Mumbai quickly developed a colossal fan following. This was all through a strong social media presence and they did not spend a penny on marketing. This led to the opening of the first brick and mortar Swedish House Mafia store in September 2014. Today, Swedish House Mafia has 12 stores across India, a strong fan following and a recently closed round of funding. Hi Neha, thank you for joining us. So, uh, before we begin, I just want to tell everyone how I came to know of you. So, uh, this was probably back in 2014 when I visited your uh, Swedish House Mafia store in Bombay. So, to everyone who doesn't know, once you walk into the store and you look to your left on the wall, there's this sort of bulletin board which has all these articles about Neha's journey and this one particular article caught my um, attention and uh, it was captioned from banker to baker and was published in the in a prominent newspaper and i that very moment i was sold and i just found that very very exciting and also you know every time i would take someone to your store to try out those cookies or go with friends i would make sure to uh, make them see read those articles on the wall and uh, because i was so inspired by your journey so i also feel like i sort of manifested this moment because the lockdown kind of you know the whole covid-19 lockdown led me to start this podcast and my first guest happens to be you so and i had to begin with could you give us a snapshot of your journey from when you decided to quit investment banking to your first store I studied at Wharton Business School, so I have my degree in finance. So investment banking was a natural next step, at least from Wharton. Pretty much everyone does that. So I did that in two thousand seven, two thousand eight. Now two thousand eight is when the recession happened, and like my my company was the first one that shut down Westerns. So it's a running joke in the family that you went there, so I walk in, you shut the company, and you came back home. <laughs> so um, so basically my company shut down, and anyways it wasn't uh, my cup of tea. I wasn't really enjoying it, so it just made sense for me to come back home. And then I think it was a while I was trying to figure things out. You know, I I forayed into edu- uh, education software. I forayed into another education institute. So I tried a bunch of things, but you know, it wasn't like sometimes when you know it's not clicking or your heart is not in it, and I wasn't enjoying any of it. So it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't really succeeding because I was not interested in putting in the effort or the man hours into making it um, a success. So while I was trying to figure it out, that's when I and I enjoy baking. I love sweets. I have a massive sweet tooth, so I used to bake a lot. And then um, uh, 
one of my friends actually at one point said, you know, you're doing such a good job. Like your cookies are so good and your desserts are so good. If you send it down to the bottom of the road, and I would post it on my social media. And he was, he was. Uh, I think social media that time it was more Facebook and Twitter, and it was coming up, and people were using it a lot more. And there were just a few handful of these food bloggers and everything. So he said that uh, I'll put it on my my feed, and he was um, he was quite active on on Facebook and Twitter. He said I'll put it, and I promised twenty random people will come and buy it from whatever location you say. So I said okay, let's try. There's no harm because I was anyways baking at home. So I said chalo, I said instead of baking twenty, I'll make forty. And so that's how I started. We did the first one then, and he told me to send it to a couple of his friends, and I sent it to them. He said if they post about it on their feeds, you're sorted, and they did because they liked the product. And no looking back since then. So literally just started, just random kids started. What like the passion, passion project turned into a business for now. Full, full, completely. Like that was, yeah, it was. It came from nowhere basically. I was not expecting that. So coming to my next question, you know, uh, you went to uh, Wharton and then you got like an amazing degree in finance and then you had a secure, safe job and uh, the kind of security and safety you get from a nine to five is not something that's promised in, uh, you know, starting your own venture. So how did you build that courage to leave that safety and that security that comes with a job like that and moving into this completely new territory of baking? So first of all, so with the um, best ones, with my banking thing, like I knew, you know how you know when you uh, know for sure how you want to proceed in your career and this and that. With banking, I knew for sure I'm not cut out for finance. It's sad because that's what I studied for so many years, yeah. and then after working for a year, I was like, okay, no, this, I, this is, I'm never going to do this because I just hated it. I hated this nine to five business. I. I'm more of a like a creative and go with the flow sort of person. So while I'm good with numbers in general, like just it wasn't my cup of tea. So leaving that nine to five was not really courageous. So I didn't think because I didn't like it to begin with. <laughs> so I knew I had to, go. and then at that point that I had to figure out. I knew that I had to do something by myself because um, I live in a joint family. Kids, it's become very difficult. For me, not for everyone, but for me, I felt it would be very difficult to do a nine to five just because, you know, it's just easier to yeah. do something when I am in control versus a nine to five where someone else would be um, my boss. Yeah, yeah. And uh, was your family on board with your idea? Because you know, parents always like, oh, you've put in so much time and so much money and all these years in uh, getting this degree. And uh, finance also seems more appealing to parents and families. So was that a challenge? Exactly. That's why I didn't tell my mom initially with the nano. Like the first couple of weeks, I didn't tell her it was doing. So what I was doing, I just didn't want to tell her because I knew she wouldn't be happy. And eventually, I told her because my oven at home, my oven at home stopped working, so I had to go to my mom's place, and, and she's like, "What is going on?" So I said, "Okay, this is what I'm doing," and she was not pleased. She was not pleased at all. She said, "What are you doing? You went to study over here. You did this. You did that. Like you said, spent all this time and money, and now you're doing baking from home, which everyone does. You're going to be one in a thousand. How are you different? Why would people come to you?" I said, "But they are coming. <laughs> they are coming. Especially, especially, I think because of like the stereotypes attached to something like baking, like yeah. you know, like moms, like specifically, would feel like, oh, it's something that everyone can do. So exactly." Not pleased, and then I was like, "Mom, it's coming the papers." This that because initially, 
because it was such a different thing and the marketing of it was different and um, the whole concept was different and the product was different so it got covered by media very quickly radio tv yeah. it was everything so i kept on showing it to her but it didn't make a difference to her because she like oh but this isn't like a you know like a very um, what do i put it like a glamorous Another question a lot of people had was that uh, you know when you started out did you feel like someone who's actually had a formal education in baking and pastry would have an edge over you in this field or was it more like you thought that you know you've studied finance and while you may not know pastry specifically it's your passion and finance otherwise will help you just run the whole show Confused people get and the less they tend to buy. 
like with eight, it was in my head. It was like okay, people might buy one, two, three flavors. They're confused. Sometimes people who are wanting to buy more will be like, "Chalo, theek hai, give me one of each flavor." Because eight cookies is still not that much, and you can actually yeah. Come, yeah. So that was our logic for starting with very few varieties, and there were people who initially used to come in, "Oh, we want cupcake. Oh, cupcake, nahi rakte." And like those were just cupcake. So it took a uh, it took a little getting used to uh, for people who walked in, and but uh, yeah, it was a brave step. But luckily, I'd already done the one and a half years, so I knew it wasn't like I said, it wasn't. Yeah, it, yeah, it would have worked out. Yeah, yeah. So we could uh, put it this way that you know when you were selling your cookies out of a car that was like a pilot phase for your business and when you started a cookie store that was like a fully established business but uh, apart from that what did your research look like especially considering uh, that you come from a finance background so you would know that when one uh, you know goes to consultants and experts there's a lot of data crunching in excel sheets and you know is there a demand for this product or what is the market is it saturated or was it more of a personal observation and experience that you know you felt that this is going to work so yeah what did your research look like in terms of numbers versus your personal uh, you know observation okay so during the nano days because i had already worked with numbers so much i was very good in documenting literally everything so i documented um Uh, how many cookies I was sending out? How many cookies sold? What the comments were? What are the reactions I got? What location I sent it that at? So everything was documented, positive reviews, negative reviews, everything. So by the end of that one and a half years, I had so much data that I could rely on to make decisions. That it was amazing. And then what happened is uh, when we were opening the store, my brother-in-law also joined in with me. So he took care of the. Store part of the expansion, the operations, and he left the kitchen and the product development part to me. So he and he just come back from an MBA. So he took care of the numbers. He worked with all the data that I had already accumulated. So he said that was really helpful. And then he took over the numbers, where he, you know, like I also kept all my bills and everything of one and a half years and whatever I yeah. spent. Yeah. So he took all that information and he put it together, and then he started taking care of the numbers from then on. So there was a lot of, and even now we both, both of us, very strongly believe that literally whatever can be put down in a number should be put down because you don't know when you're going to use it, where you're going to use it, how you're going to use it, but it will someday come in some use in some form or the other. So we both strongly believe in that. It's just that he actually does it. <laughs> I don't do it. <laughs> And when he sends it to me, like, "Bhavi, take a look," I'm like, "Yeah, no, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not looking at that. Like, it's all you." <laughs> I lost in New York. <laughs> I was done in New York, and he's like, "You know, you're the one who went to Wharton. Like, you have a proper, like, a much big, like, more prestigious degree than I do." I said, "Yeah, it doesn't matter." <laughs> Also, you know how you mentioned your uh, brother-in-law is working with you. So, how is it to have a co-founder on board, and uh, does it make things easier? And uh, do you think it's important to have a co-founder? Definitely makes it easier. So, the thing with my brother-in-law is that uh, he had told me like long before when I was uh, dating my my husband. Uh, um, I used to make, like I said, I used to bake then also. So, I used to yeah. take brownies and stuff. And he, my younger brother, my brother-in-law is four years younger than us. So I used to feed him. He was a little kid, and he used to love it. And he used to be like, you know what? You should start a cupcake store and this and that. And I got married. He's like, Bhavi, you must start something. I said, you've lost your mind. I've just come back from business, like finance. No. He's like, no, no. I've located. He had located a store. He said, this store is there. 
He showed it to me. He said, we can rent it and you start a cupcake store. I said, I am not doing any such thing. And then he told me, he said, Bhabi, someday you will start a cupcake store and I will not talk to you. I said, okay, it's <laughs> not going to happen. And lo and behold, a few years later, it happened. So he's been like my biggest fan and my biggest, you know, advocate and cheerleader. He's always believed in me. Before I believed in me, he believed in me. Like seriously, the way he used to say it with such conviction, I never believed in it. So, and he's the one who gave SHM the name and he gave it. So it was like, he and I are very like, it's, SHM is part of like, it's important. It's like both of us. It's literally both of us. So and it's so important be there because the division of labor it just makes life so easy you know i can focus focus on things i'm good at he can focus on things he's good at and it just it's impossible for one person to do it all and have a life because you know now i have two kids i have my husband you know it's not unless of course this is the only thing you do then yes you can do it by yourself but i for me i need that work-life balance and if i was doing everything yeah. there would be no balance and uh, Neha, could you also share with us uh, what you think is the importance of social media in a brand like yours? And, uh, you know, specifically because these days a lot of people before their actual business is up and running, there's uh, a, there's an Instagram page. So is it really that helpful? And what has your personal uh, experience with social media been like? Going back to how we started, we're a totally social media built brand we are a result of social media everything um i mean the whole uh, talking of sending out the messages about where the narrow is going to go and what cookies and what time and all it all happened on facebook and twitter without that we wouldn't exist because there was no other way to get the message across to people that you know we are going to be here at this time so come buy a cookie so we are a total product of social media back then also this is we're talking about um seven years ago yeah. So there were no algorithms like they are right now. First of all, there was no Instagram. There was Instagram, mm-hmm. but it wasn't that widespread. It was Facebook and Twitter. There were no algorithms like this that if you pay and if you sponsor and then blah, blah, blah. Like if I got posted and if I have 10,000 followers, then most likely 10,000 followers will see my post. It was no like, you know, selection and all that. Yeah. Yeah. Twitter also was, Twitter, I feel that right now we don't use it much. I used it more mm-hmm. back We don't use it much now. But Facebook and all the way it is right now, it's, it's, yeah, it wasn't like then, back then. Instagram I used to use to take photos and, and then use those photos for Facebook and Twitter. I never used yeah. Instagram. So when I finally opened it to start using it for the Swedish House Mafia page, I'd already got 200 followers, which I had no idea about. So that was, wow. yeah, so back then, yes. Now what's happened is because of all these algorithms and you have to sponsor and you have to boost and blah, blah, blah. It's become much more uh, difficult to make your brand stand out in the crowd and you know be heard. Unfortunately, it is necessary because depending on your target market, I believe it's necessary just because if you're going for the age group of your you know 15 to 35, 40, then most of the people are just literally on their phones, you know, and Instagram. Yeah. I, not about your Snapchat and all that, but Instagram is a big part of pretty much every young person's daily uh, routine, I feel. So it is important um, to advertise on this for sure. I feel that it would definitely make people, the people who you want to see, would see your brand. Because even when I scroll and I see sponsored posts, there are some things that do catch my eye and I do click on it and I you know, go further and see whether it applies to me or not. So it's not like everyone everyone sees it. Whoever it's supposed to do will see it and it's yeah. up to them 
afterwards so it's it's important so uh, coming to funding now you know uh, till um, what time were you bootstrapping and when did you decide to get uh, funded externally and also if you could just walk us through the procedure of how how it is to raise funds from outside and uh, how hard is that okay so we had uh, initially it was of course uh, our family invested mm-hmm. and then we were doing well so whatever we earn we put back into the business but it was very cut to cut you know and we want able to experiment as much or do as much as we wanted to we had so many ideas but we just didn't have enough capital to execute those ideas so eventually we realized that if we get the external fund and if we get a decent amount of money then we can execute a lot more things that we are envisioning and take the brand to the next level which we can't without sufficient capital so we planned on uh, we had started looking into funding a, a while ago and again so all my brother no like i said he took care of all the numbers so i don't know all the details all i know is that he reached out like our banker had reached out to a couple of funds and um, he also emailed um, uh, alar punawala and then alar punawala got back to us saying he wants a meeting and literally it just within two meetings it was done he was happy with what he saw with the tech he was happy with the two of us i guess he was I don't honestly like you know for him this is this like little small cookie business and he's only invested in two other things he's invested in a microfinance company and he's invested in this uh, chemist um, which one is it uh, uh, well well is forever okay oh, so he's only invested in those two and then our cookie store it's it's very funny yeah. thing so it was uh, it was very again I'm sorry but really my brother not having most of it but the email that other sent to us and meeting then the lawyers handled it at the back end and my brother and so I'm sorry I cannot give you a lot of details but for me it was very smooth I didn't have to do much <laughs> Okay, so basically, I think takeaways is very important to have a co-founder. Oh, <laughs> this is someone who can do the numbers. Like you, it's a must. Like if you want yeah. your sanity and just be blissful and do your own work, and he can do. It's you know, it's it's basically you shouldn't have ego in asking for help because this is literally just help, and it is you know you 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 just focus on your specialization, and he he does not know anything about baking, and I have no interest in numbers, so it was just. You know, just focus on what you're good at, and then together you can just take the company to the next level. So it's important to know what your limits are. Like you can't be like, okay, I'm gonna do everything, because sometimes that's not just—it's not the best thing. Yeah. Because you have to burn out. It's just yeah. something is going to suffer. You don't have fifty hours. So, uh, Neha, one very important question that everyone wants to know about is that how do you face challenges at work, and how do you deal with a bad day? And you know, are there days like when you're just like, oh my god, I can't do this anymore? And how? What is your mindset to get through these difficult days? I'm always like, you know, like, it will be fine. Like right now, so if my brother-in-law is like stressed about anything, I'm like, don't worry, it will get sorted out. Except Harvey is not working. I said, don't worry. Don't worry, it will happen. So I'm literally like, breathe. Don't worry about it. And so even if I have a bad day, I'm like, it's okay. It's not the end of the world. It'll be better tomorrow. So that's yeah. how I handle it personally because I've realized that losing my mind and panicking and all is going to get me nowhere. Like it's just not going to get us anywhere. 
So I, this is how I handle it. I just calm myself down. I calm the poor people around, like whoever's around me. And if they are stressing, I'm like, there's just no benefit in stressing. It'll be yeah. fine. <laughs> I literally use this calm voice, like, don't stress. It'll be okay. Yeah. So that's how I handle my bad days. That's amazing. Just like to have like a really optimistic approach. Which is so yeah. that quick. There's just so much stress. Like everyone's so stressed out. So it's so nice yeah. to like your that to do. You know, I've learned after so many years that that's the only way that you can remain sane. Like, you know, it's literally just think it's not the end of the world. The world is still running. You're still alive and fine. It'll happen. <laughs> what needs to happen will happen. Okay, so uh, coming to my next question, uh, is there anything you wish you had done differently in this journey, in your Swedish House Mafia journey so far? I'm happy with everything the way it's turned out because if it hadn't happened in the way it had happened, then we wouldn't be where we are today, which is like we have an amazing partner on board. People yes. love our products. We're doing well. We're uh, focusing on retail and spreading um, our reach even more. So it's all fallen into place because the way it has yeah. happened. So I don't think I would do anything differently. I think people love what we do, what we are. So yeah, I, I don't, luckily, you know, the fa- like, yeah, the support of everyone around us has been amazing. It's never made me doubt uh, my brand or me or my brother-in-law or the product at any point. So before we end, I just want to take up two questions that I've received. So the first one is that, um, you know, when people have finished their education and like have had a few years of work ex and they're like around, let's say, 27, 28, they already feel like it's too late to start something new. So do you, what do you, what do you think about that? And what would you say to them about, uh, you know, about the right time to start something? not you can i started this uh, when i was 28 29 20 i was 20 28 yeah yeah <laughs> it's not all i opened the first store when i was eight months pregnant with this girl you all just saw so i opened the first store when i was eight months pregnant it's never too late to start anything never and you never know when when you find something that's you're supposed to do you can be when you're 35 and 40 it's never too late and you know honestly i feel that now it I don't know. I never knew what I wanted to do. Like, till 28. Like, even with SHM, it's not like I knew this is what I wanted to do. It happened. That's a different thing. But even at 28, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I think it's normal. So I feel that people who know what they want to do are abnormal. Like, it's not possible. <laughs> that's, so, that's so comforting to hear. <laughs> I'm like, how, how at like age 15 do you know what you want to do? Like you haven't seen every, how? Like it boggles my mind. But that's me. Like, like I said, I'm just a very like, you know, content soul. And so for me, even when I figured out at 28, I figured it out. But I don't understand how people do it. It's amazing. Hats off to them. And it's amazing if they can do that. But um, it's totally okay if, if you've not figured it out. Seriously. Yeah. And, and I can tell and the second question we have is that uh, what is your role at Swedish House Mafia now? So, you know, when you would have started out, I'm sure you were micromanaging everything. And uh, so how how is that now? And do you have like proper chefs and bakers who you've hired? And what are you exactly managing? And what's your role? And how much, how is that divided between micromanaging and macromanaging? managing? So we do have chefs on board. We have our central kitchen. So, uh 
everything runs from there. We bake, uh, we uh, make our dough over there, get sent to all the stores, so it's baked fresh at each store. So that's the USP, right? You get fresh cookies whenever you go. So no, I don't look into the basics now, like getting the dough out, just because you know my staff has been doing it for donkey's years now. It's it's like you know they can also do it in their sleep. So I don't look over that part of things, but when we introduce new stuff, that is where I come in. So I do a lot of R and D, and because I have the kids, and because R and D doesn't require much, so I can even work from home. So I work from. I have a younger son now who's ten months old, so I need to be at home for him also. So I work from home mostly, and then when the when I finalize the product after a lot of testing, uh, and I'm happy with it and uh, satisfied with the way that it is, then. I'll go to the central kitchen, show it to the staff. We'll go through it a few times together to fix it and tweak it and see what is working, what is not working, and then we have to figure out how to get it sent to the other cities and how it's going to work there. So there's a lot of logistics and all to work out, and then we have to again tweak the product so that it survives to go to the other cities. So that's not what I focus on now. And now, of course, we're going to retail, so looking into those things, but not the daily stuff so much. So, uh, Neha, my last question to wrap this up would be that uh, if there's just like you know this one piece of advice you could give out to people who are starting out or wish to quit a nine to five to you know be entrepreneurs, what what is that one piece of advice you would give to them? So, um, okay, so there are a bunch of cliches which I want to throw out there. You know, you have to love what you do. It is it is a given. Like you have to enjoy what you're doing. Otherwise, honestly, you're not going to stick with it. If you don't enjoy it, there's just no point. So that is one thing. So definitely find something that you enjoy doing. You may not even know what it is, and it may just happen. But you have to enjoy doing it. Second thing is you have to put in the hard work. You know you can't just be like, oh, I love my work, so it will happen. No, it's not gonna happen. Like I put in the hours during the nano. I put in the time. I was on my feet. I was baking for eight number eight hours a day. Blah blah blah. So you have to put in the hard work, the sweat, etc. You have to do that. Secondly, do not uh, hesitate or have an ego to ask for help because I feel that there's no way SHM would have gotten to the The level it has gotten without my brother-in-law, because, like I said, one person cannot do all of it. So if I had started looking at the numbers, and like something or the other would have suffered, either the product would have suffered, or like I said, I wouldn't have reached that level, the level that we are at right now. So do not hesitate to ask for help. If someone is good at something and they can do a job, the job better than you can, just take the help. There's no need to take the help. Uh, another thing is. Um, Don't lose hope because sometimes things are not going the way they want to. Uh, you know, SHM initially was not when we opened our first store. I thought it was going to be a hit and everything. We were going to have lines and everything, but it took a little while for it to pick up, and we didn't lose hope. At least, like one, you know, like my friends were like, "No, no, no, nothing's happening." So I was trying to be positive on the outside because both of us can't start fretting. So I'm like, "Don't worry, it'll happen." But inside, I was getting like upset. I'm like, "Why isn't it picking up?" But You know, eventually it did. Like it did pick up so much, so that we have stores in four cities now. So don't lose hope. Keep at it because it takes some time for a business to settle. It does take time. It is not going to happen overnight. You take a few months, a year, year and a half for it to settle, and then you will see that upswing. So don't lose hope. Stay optimistic. Of course, I think that's important for your sanity. Ah, uh, what else? Yeah, I think these are the main things: hard work, passion. No ego. Yes, absolutely. I think that's my biggest takeaway from this uh, conversation. I love how you're so optimistic about uh, 
life and just about challenges in general so thank you for doing this neha thank you for the conversation it was super insightful super fun but uh, most of all thank you for the nutella sea salt cookies which i just also found out is your best selling cookie so yeah thank you thank you for everything and uh, good luck with the uh, swedish house mafia